just get this. Let me get my affairs in order. Um, 100%. Speaking of my affairs, um, this isn't even gonna be that interesting. I just don't know where we stopped in the in the last episode. Uh, <laughs> I have no no idea. <laughs> That's fine. I I have it. I have it saved. I oh nice, nice. I press. Yeah. My drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so jealous. That looks so good. This is some Starbucks coffee. I, Kirkland is Starbucks, so I guess it's Starbucks coffee too? Like, yeah. Kirkland mm-hmm. is Costco though, isn't it? I love Costco. Mm-hmm. Just so many of the Kirkland brands are actually like name brand things, like their batteries are Duracell. Oh, yeah. I see. They just stick so their it's name like on it exactly but the coffee is starbucks coffee it just it like says starbucks in the upper left hand corner and it says kirkland on the main part makes sense um oh i actually have a, a bookmark in this book <laughs> I, I i was gonna say i have bookmarks saved as well so oh lord okay well uh hi i'm gilda and i'm steph And this is Saturday Night High, the podcast where we smoke up and talk about Saturday Night Live. Old episodes, new episodes. We are currently doing an SNL history series. Yes. And I think both of us are dealing with some mini hangovers right now. Um, Yes. But you know what? The weed really does help with that, I will say. (laughs) It really does i got uh slightly buzzed and watched mank with a friend virtually last night mm-hmm. but yeah um meh not, not my thing fair enough i get that but, <laughs> but, but yeah no it's it was beautiful but not it was nice to look at amanda Seyfried is gorgeous but other than that meh. fair enough i watched um kid gorgeous last night with my sugar daddy <laughs> it was so fucking funny i love kid gorgeous so much and then this morning i woke up and i was like oh my head <laughs> yeah um god i haven't seen kid gorgeous in a while my favorite's new in town so That's if you're talking one. about the top three yeah <laughs> but yeah so that was a really big mistake. Okay, uh, as for where we left off, page 463. Um, okay, so we left, okay, so this is, we are covering um, Live from New York, which is the complete uncensored history of Saturday Night Live as told by its stars, writers, and guests. It's compiled by James Andrew Miller and Tom Shales, and we will have a link to the IndieBound part in our, the IndieBound shop thing in our show notes, <laughs> if you are interested. Um, but yeah, so we are doing part two of part six today, which covers the years 1995 to 2002. And we left off around 2000-ish. <laughs> Starting in the middle is very difficult. Um, yes. So they talk about the purpose of the musical guests and how it's changed over time. And I think we definitely see that because, I mean, with we did season one and we saw like your Leon Russells and um, who else was a musical guest? When? Season. It's season one, just like the purpose of the, like the, 
wow saturday morning and super you know who stoned. i'm still thinking about as a musical guest is nick jonas okay i listened to his new album you guys it really slaps it's good for walking to work in the morning <laughs> oh my god that is amazing um so where we left off at least the first note i have is that the purpose of the musical guests has changed over time and i definitely see where that comes from because in season one we had guests like okay we have billy preston janice ian paul simon abba um gil scott heron um jimmy cliff patty smith patty smith was an up-and-comer then um but again it's like it was either unknown people who were getting their start and like holy shit they're on saturday night live or they were classics and well-known and they were favorites and friends and it was just kind of a variety show aspect whereas now musical guests if someone is on snl they're most likely promoting a single or an album or something of the sort um yeah musical guests um john zonars is uh quoted as saying that the ratings drop during the musical performances and so that's also something that like they need to consider right i i personally don't mind them um yeah james downey says on 463 one thing that has definitely changed and this smells like the network to me is that in the early years of saturday night live the show would very admirably use its clout when booking music acts it was like we're doing very well we don't need to book a music act that's going to bring in huge numbers we would have some obscure relatively obscure or at least interesting choice nowadays the choice of the music seems to me at least entirely about getting kids to watch or earning a big rating i think they've had the backstreet boys on two or three times and in the old days that's the kind of thing that would have prompted a full-scale staff revolt so yeah yeah and i think there's like pressure to be a musical guest um just like you know being a, a host or a cast member it's just like your future career who knows like what it means yeah 100 percent. it could make or break i mean do, do you remember the ashley simpson debacle no i don't but i'm currently thinking of lana del rey and how everyone said that her performance was like horrible i didn't think it was that bad but i i didn't think it was that bad it just wasn't what people were expecting and i it wasn't what people were expecting and she was relatively unknown and i think that was more the issue is who is this and what the hell than it actually being bad yeah that's tough yeah lord michael says we're at a place generationally where you can do britney spears where enough people are baby boomers who have kids i would know enough to book eminem but i wouldn't presume to pick the song you would sing whereas in 75 i would have been what do you mean you're not doing this or that song you know i think you have to step back and find your role so also you know just kind of letting the musical it's like if you let the musical acts if you let the musicians do their thing you're gonna get a better performance than if you try to micromanage all of it for sure that's something that he has backed off backed off on (laughs) you don't see him do that too often i feel like yeah he's you know hands the fuck on um on 471 um they talk about booking hosts and i thought it was interesting where uh i show uh marcy klein 
is talking about in terms of desirable hosts, we of course always want to get Tom Cruise, blah, blah, blah. But I show Lauren the list, but it never gets circulated. No one sees it but him. You know, hopefully I don't want to spend three weeks on one person. I want to say, let's make an offer. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is a good example of somebody where I went. I saw Jerry Maguire. I came back and I said to Lauren, I know no one knows who this guy is, but I'm telling you, he's going to be a big star from this. Gary Oldman, who would be my dream host personally, he was in Mank last night, um, was booked. And on a Thursday before the Monday that he was supposed to come in, something happened and he had to drop out. I think Tom Hanks came in and really saved us on that one. Um it's always the ones you really you're really excited about that drop out you call in Alec Baldwin Tom Hanks John Goodman John's done it when someone has fallen out I mean this is a major thing to ask somebody hey can you show up in two days when they're not prepared so that's why the five timers club it's not that um it's uh, fuck like it's um I have just Tom Hanks being dependable as fuck is what got him in it (laughs) yes and just willing to drop everything for a whole ass week. Like if you can come in on short notice and that's when you see an Alec Baldwin or probably not anymore, but um, when you see a Tom Hanks or a John Goodman or something of the sort, you know, oh, someone dropped out. Like Maya Rudolph is hosting next week. Like who was supposed to host that dropped out? Right. There was a section of this part of the book where they just had a bunch of different hosts talk and so Gwyneth Paltrow was one of them and she was talking about how it's nice to do things that you don't normally get to do Gwyneth Paltrow she really makes me laugh so hard I don't know if you saw but I saw this headline this is on Instagram it could have been fake but I think it was real it was like Gwyneth Paltrow said that she would be willing to return to the MCU um Marvel Cinematic Universe if it was a commitment of like one to two days, <laughs> like she doesn't want to have to like put in the work to stay in that. And that's pretty accurate. I mean, that's fair. I don't, she doesn't like need her. it. <laughs> Excuse me. Great though. <coughs> fuck. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, that was me this morning. What the fuck? Um, I smoked this bong that was so fucking tall, bro like maybe two feet tall i don't know it's so nice and thin it's Holy brand new shit. yeah it was nice oh my god what color is it okay so it's like clear and it's such high quality glass and then there's um these letters on it that are red green and yellow which is the colors that are on <laughs> her binder <laughs> um but she doesn't even like them i think they're pretty cool though nice <laughs> um yeah i think um so yeah but Gwyneth Paltrow she was saying that it's great fun for her to play a white girl who wants to talk like a ghetto chick she never gets to do stuff like that otherwise and it's like no that's problematic as fuck you don't get to do that because you're a rich white girl um but she also so she's right about SNL being a rite of passage she's saying um in one sketch she played Sharon Stone and got all kind got in all kinds of trouble she was very offended she talked a lot about it in the press um as I look at it like it's a rite of passage to be lampooned on that show if people are making fun of you on that show it means you've made it and you're in the cultural lexicon and that's flattering I suppose some people are less game for that sort of thing that's kind of true and it echoes what David Spade said when he was talking about not wanting to be mean about people like you can you can mock people on the show but you don't want to be mean about it 
that being said, if you're being mocked on Saturday Night Live, you've kind of made it. Yes. In, made it in some sense, I guess. But they talked about... <laughs> well, uh, right. Well, Will Ferrell said that the worst host for him was Chevy Chase. And this right. man is a fucking mess oh this man is so fucking messy i will say so i guess yesterday um i guess yesterday joe biden fell while walking up the stairs on air force three times yeah it was pretty tough to see i know and it's like oh fuck but i saw a tweet this morning from i think it was this week in snl it was like oh fuck hang on no i i I need to god damn it I had it saved. No. Is this going to be something? I'm, let me just predict this this meme. Is it going to be um, something related to Ford Chase? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was as much words as I could get out of my mouth in that moment. I'm so fucking high. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that week in SNL tweeted, uh, oh, I guess yesterday. Uh, so the president falls down elsewhere in the world Chevy Chase suddenly awakens from a deep sleep he knows what he must do his time is now and I laughed at that that was fucking funny that's hilarious holy shit (laughs) right so yeah that was a perfectly crafted tweet but Chevy Chase is not a perfectly crafted tweet he's a mess he is a mess um he literally made a joke about one of the female writers giving him a hand job exactly like that fucking sketch in the season one finale where it was i don't remember who it was but just newman talking about when she was playing the secretary who slept with all of the snl writers yeah i was not a sucker for snl yeah Yeah, page 474, Will Ferrell. The worst host was Chevy Chase. It started right from the Monday pitch. You could just tell something was up. I don't know if he was on something or what, if he took too many back pills that day or something, but he was just going around the room systematically riffing. First, it was in the guys, playfully making fun, until when he got to one of our female writers, he made some reference like, maybe you can give me a hand job later. I've never seen Lauren more embarrassed in red. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Uh, even Lauren... Oh, no, that was, uh, oh, the other kind of classic one, Tom Arnold. Even Lauren was like, this will be a bad show. This will be a bad week. And sure enough, it was like, oh, this guy is horrible. Once again, though, he wasn't mean. I think he'll find a consensus on the Chevy Chase thing. Yeah, no one likes him. I'm sorry. He's, yeah. I mean, yeah, he just sucks. Another white man bites the dust in terms of not dying, but just being bad um right and and so the next it's immediately followed by anna gasteyer saying the one miracle is that every host makes it through i've seen really drunk people make it through i've seen really stoned people make it through everyone makes it through the system has been around for 27 years now it was 27 it was at that point we're now in 46 um it's pretty well oiled and sensitive it just happens of course you see a lot of true colors i mean even the coolest person in the world at some point shits their pants because they're so nervous or so elated that they made it through this terrifying thing and wasn't it fun and literally that's just what the good nights look like every week yes it is i think that's adorable honestly like (laughs) i'm really fucked up right now (laughs) and tina fey backs this up by saying uh part of the beauty of the show is that it's at its longest it's only a week come hell or high water at 1 a.m on sunday it's done it's like when you're taking the sats they say put your pencils down at a certain point it's 
she says it's best when the hosts trust us. And you can see that like Nick Jonas, he trusted the writers. He trusted the cast. He, he just went with the flow. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. They talked about comedians being the worst hosts because they like to bring their own writers. And that's something that Seinfeld did, which I could totally fucking see Jerry Seinfeld oh. doing that. Um, but then specifically, what? I would say I fucking hate Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that you like fucking love him or something. I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, Bold. Jesus. It, okay, if that sentence ever comes out of my mouth, you know something. That's, that is my emergency phrase. If I ever call you and say that I think Jerry Seinfeld is fucking hilarious, call the cops. Yeah. I am in trouble, okay? <laughs> like that is, yeah, okay? So, all right, yeah, sorry, go on. Glad I it's just, on recording. I not... <laughs> Well, that, right. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, Jerry's, I, I just needed it on record that I fucking hate Jerry Seinfeld. Anyway, sorry, go on. I don't hate him as a person. I just Fair. don't like his style. Look, well, actually, you know what? I'm just going to shut up. Well, he also dated like a 17 year old. Which is icky. He dated a 17 year old. A- after I said that, I was like, actually, no, I kind of do hate him as a person. He's fucking gross. So you know what? It, sorry. Yeah. Um, but you know who didn't do that was Jon Stewart fucking king. <laughs> Oh, I love Jon Stewart. He, like, my dad would always watch him every single night, and I would listen, but not too hard. <laughs> Did I ever, I, I think I told you, I, my mother and I saw John Jon Stewart a few times, but one of the times we were there, and, like, they do the questions and answers, and um, I was like, I want to ask him about his friendship with Bruce Springsteen. And everybody around me thought that was really funny. And I was like, I right, cool. I'm going to ask him. So I like, I didn't figure it out. We were, my mother and I were still crafting, but as we're crafting Bruce Springsteen and one of his sons walk into the audience, like to sit and watch the show. And it was like, well, can't do that now. No way. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was fucking awesome. Um, he was wearing man Uggs. It was actually kind of fucking hilarious. So yeah, uh, Alec Baldwin. Um, so on 485, he's talking about how much he loves doing the show. He says the live aspect of the show to me is the most important aspect. It's a challenge. If I was not doing what I'm doing now, I would try to get on the show regularly. It's like getting high. It's like being stoned out of your mind. It's like being shot out of a cannon. And it's like, well, Alec Baldwin, you got your wish. You were on SNL as basically a pseudo cast member for four years as Donald Trump. So yeah, um, before that on page. 484. Uh, oh, sorry, go on. James Downey was talking about having Monica Lewinsky as the host, and he was a bit of a dick about it. Um, he said it was kind of trashy, and yeah. he should be proud of having her on the show. And he just talked about these horrible, like, presidential knee pad jokes. Like, ugh. <sighs> no, I, I mean, again who gives a shit it's like you know what it was trying to turn her reputation around and not that there was anything wrong with what happened like it she was vilified she was like what 20 something like she was was a child she was too young thrust into the national spotlight and then you got this asshole ranting about why he thought she her being on the show is trashy and it's like my god i honestly think 
that was them trying to throw her a bone and like not have it be um I I, I don't know you know what I mean just kind of like shift the narrative slightly right and he like James Downey was not looking to do that because he was like upset that she didn't want to do this presidential knee pad sketch right he, he literally says oh I'm sorry does she have some long glorious resume of achievement or did she blow the president I mean yeah it's like what yeah what a dick I truly it's mm. <sighs> okay that was awful um yeah James Downey I have some I have thoughts I uh, I appreciate what he did for the show, but I feel like he's kind of a sour old man. Yeah, like maybe keep your trap shut, honey. Yeah, it's the whole, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. Yeah, that's just fucking horrible. I just, oh, he's yeah. so sad for Monica Lewinsky. It really does, but honestly, seeing who she is now and like her attitude on Twitter and the things that she has done, like, have you watched her TED Talks? I think I've seen one or two. Yeah, you know what? It is, you know, if you go through hard shit, you come out a better person. Right. And it's like, holy hell, she came out the other side, an incredible person. And yes. yeah. So. <laughs> host again. I'll was, say it. <laughs> honestly, I would fuck it. I would tune the fuck in. I would love that. Me too. Yeah. So um, I guess Marcy Klein had her sweet 16 birthday party at Studio 54. Uh, what a, that's a hell of a place to have a sweet 16. I mean, I saw the Eagles for my 16th birthday, which was cool, but it wasn't Studio 54. I think I saw Aladdin on Broadway. <laughs> nice. With my mommy. Aww. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we go into uh, Saturday Night Live's uh, shocking mortality rate. Uh with very shortly after Chris Farley's untimely passing, Phil Hartman, uh, who was a much beloved cast member, uh, he was shot to death by his wife, Bryn, and she then uh, completed suicide. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, Phil Hartman's murder, it, that was fucking tragic. Cause like, I think he was shot in his sleep. I think she was like on an absolute massive Coke bender and like locked herself in the house it it was shocking and i really this is something again um i remember my parents and their friends talking about this because it was like oh my god did did you hear about this like this guy that we loved and watched for 10 years what the fuck it's fucking horrible like right everyone was so upset understandably <laughs> yeah this i mean this covered most of the rest of four the four pages of the 480s um and what i thought um mike myers was really affected by this and i thought this was one of the i mean with earlier deaths in the book like with your john belushi's people talked about john belushi's passing um people talked about Gilda Radner but this is the first 
cast member death that I feel cast members really opened up about in this book. And I don't know if it, if that's just a generational thing or like people are more, I, I don't know what that is, but like this, <clears throat> like, honestly, like you could tell the, the previous deaths had affected the cast and the people around the show, but it was almost like an unspoken yeah, I get that sense too. Yeah, and like this is just like this is the most emotional and raw people get about an SNL cast member death in this section was tough. No, it really was tough to read. Like really heavy shit and I mean, I don't know, it could be a generational thing, probably is, but it could also perhaps be that like uh, this was just unexpected, like something like that. You know, not to say that anybody who suffers from addiction is expected or anything but like this was just right. out of nowhere like getting shot that's yeah um yeah andy brickman on page 488 says uh just like baseball fans and baseball fanatics put together the best yankee team ever so the saturday night live dreamcast is another game that the writers play and phil hartman makes almost every list uh terry turner says on page 488 and it did have an effect i think on everybody to think if that can happen to them what's to stop it from happening to any of us sitting down to dinner one day going to a rap party the next day and then the next day you're gone it was really shocking of all the people you would have put into that scenario the last one you would have picked would have been phil um that is such true shit. And that is yeah, why I and then... <laughs> um, uh, Mike Myers on page 489 says, it's a profound sadness that we're sitting here talking about Saturday Night Live and the question is about Phil Hartman's death. I can't get over it. Kevin Nealon, 489 as well. I was coming back from somewhere. I looked at the TV over the bar and I saw shots of Phil. I thought, oh, he must have a movie coming out. David Spade uh oh no that's about chris farley never mind yeah so yeah i mean transitioned yeah very quickly that was a shift um the seeing him on tv and thinking it's about a movie that's so sad to me yes that's just i mean can you imagine like then for the rest of all time every time i saw someone i knew on tv i'd be like wait why like that would put such a fear in me oh my god for sure jesus uh, but yeah, then they start talking oh. about Chris Farley and how, I mean, they were kind of worried for him and it sucks. Yeah. Um, this, uh, the Chris Farley parts take up page 489 to 494. Um, and it really just, his decline is just really, really sad. And David Spade um, had a story in here that was just absolutely oof um but yeah chris rock it's chris rock and bob odenkirk like everyone had a story about how they just felt absolutely terrible and crushed um yeah bob odenkirk talked about um a david spade story maybe that's what you were thinking of um where he says that like they went out um david spade and oh yeah Chris yes. Farley at a party in LA and he was turning down drinks, which he never did. And he seemed really empowered. This is on page 491. Um, whatever he'd been going through and in control of himself. 
And I thought that he'd really turned a corner and that was almost more amazing than seeing him the way he was in Aspen a year later. It was to see him and think, wow, there's really hope, you know? Yeah, that was, thank you. Um, I just, yeah, it's just, it's really sad, but I mean, it shows that, you know, I mean, people are human. Yeah. Later on um, in that same passage, Bob Odenkirk said that without the structure of Saturday Night Live around him, that might've been all Chris needed to get really screwed up, which I could definitely see is happening. That's why I was so happy to be out of my furlough. Holy fuck. Like I cannot live like that. (laughs) But yeah, so that was kind of a one-two punch is Chris Farley died in December of 97. Phil Hartman died in May of 98. And it's just like how, I mean, I, I can't fucking imagine. But Al Franken says that with Belushi, we did not know that you died that way. We didn't understand what addiction does and what was going on. With Farley, we understood it. He understood it because he went to rehab about 12 times. He honestly, honestly struggled and tried. He was a wonderful, sweet, loving guy. He was a fan of other people. He loved his family. I don't know what it was. It was really sad. And that really sums it up. Yeah, it is really sad. Um... And that was actually something that I talked about last night with my sugar daddy was John Mulaney. Um, but I think he's doing better. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I saw on a Dumas blind item send in thing. He was walking Petunia around uh, one of the villages in New York. Uh, he was walking around with a guy friend who was also walking their dog and so he is out of his he is out of rehab um seems to be doing well thoughts and love to john mulaney Um, one of the white guys that i trust (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that was amazing um so let's shift to a happier thing maya rudolph joins the cast and it was almost she didn't it was almost she didn't (laughs) right and i honestly as i i did not appreciate maya rudolph when i was younger but as i get older and i watch her older or i watch her sketches and i see what she's doing on the show now it's like oh she she's incredible like yeah now i feel like she's like she's a bit of a different presence than she used to be on the show yeah and i honestly i'm actually the last time she hosted i was still kind of like "Eh, all right this time i'm fucking excited and that's a first for me where my opinion on them has changed in between hostings like i didn't not like her before but yeah anyway honestly Um, reading her talk about this too like she was offered a job on a hospital drama and so she turned down snl but she kind of knew like that 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 wasn't the move <laughs> the whole yeah, time no. it seemed like on 499 she says she passed on her first audition because she'd gotten another job offer this was all a uh, uh she really didn't want it this is all i ever really wanted to do i waited my whole life to be on snl and then when they said come and audition i just been offered a job on a hospital drama called city of angels so i passed on the audition and i was miserable for a month and steve higgins came to the theater higgins uh steve higgins came to the theater and he said if you don't get picked up for your show would you be interested in coming back to new york and i said yes please i never wanted to make that mistake again i can't believe she did that 
I on, honestly, I can't believe she did either. Like, what the fuck? SNL auditions are so fucking hard to get. And For a she's like, drama? Maya, right? <laughs> Like, I can't even picture her in a hospital drama. Like, I picture her being, like, the person that's running around making funny faces in the back. I cannot picture her doing a serious, soapy nighttime drama. Like, ugh. God. It's just not what her energy is. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad that she found her where she thrives. And a lot of women found where they th- th- throve on this show. <laughs> that, that was my attempt at a segue, but I, I didn't really know what verb to use. Um, yeah, this, uh, we get into a section about gender and how, I mean, this is honestly, there were women on the writing staff throughout SNL's history, but never in large numbers. And it was almost more like a token, like, okay, we have, we have a woman on the staff or, you know, it's like, there were a few people, but. Gilda Jane and what's her name? Like. Lorraine? Yep. Is that and it? there were uh no well rosie schuster was a writer um mm. and ann bates was a writer um there was another i want to say her name starts with an m marianne but that i might just be making up i don't Marilyn, know maybe um maybe Marilyn. i feel yes i, th- I think you're, i think you're correct holy shit way to go <laughs> um damn but yeah, so we get into a section here where Janine Garofalo is back. Um, she says, life is a boys club, so SNL is a reflection of that. But Molly Shannon and Anna Gasteyer and Sherry O'Terry and Rachel Dratch and Tina Fey kicked ass. They came in and would not be denied. I will, I'll admit I was not prepared to deal with the wall of resistance. Molly was. Molly is a much stronger person than me. Uh, Molly came in and her attitude was right in the money. And it was, I'll kill you with kindness. Uh, but she's fu- but she's fucking very tough and she's writing and writing and writing and she will not take no for an answer. She also would not get involved in the bullshit. No gossiping, no nothing. The males were worse gossip than the females and Molly did not play that game. She didn't get involved in drugs and alcohol. She was there to work. And I truly think this group, it's this group of women and the Amy Polars and the Tina Fey's, they came in and it was like, fuck you. I belong here. This isn't they were there to work they were there to get shit done yeah (laughs) it wasn't they did they did yeah and they did they were completely successful i don't know if it's talked about in here but i'm gonna google it because um hang on amy polar jimmy oh i got bossy pants um because i went home and i grabbed it nice uh amy polar jimmy fallon or did i now that i'm looking around my room i'm not so sure (laughs) that's funny um okay quote by tina fey oh i think it's in bossy pants this story but i love i have to know where that book is (laughs) okay uh tina fey amy poehler was new to snl and we were all crowded into into the 17th floor into the 17th writer's room waiting for the Wednesday night read-through to start. Amy was in the middle of some such nonsense with Seth Meyers across the table and she did something vulgar as a joke. I can't remember what it was exactly except it was dirty and loud and unladylike quote-unquote unladylike. Jimmy Fallon turned to her and 
and in a faux squeamish voice said, stop that. It's not cute. I don't like it. Amy dropped what she was doing, went black in the eyes for a second and wheeled around on him. I don't fucking care if you like it. Jimmy was visibly startled. Amy went right back to enjoying her ridiculous bit. With that exchange, a cosmic shift took place. Amy made it clear that she wasn't there to be cute. She wasn't there to play wives and girlfriends in the boys scenes. She was there to do what she wanted to do. And she did not fucking care if you liked it. Holy fucking shit. Tina Fey did not hold back. I loved that story so fucking much. And you really see that um, in Amy Poehler. Like, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't fucking care if you like it. She's not there to perform for them. For Jimmy fucking Fallon. Come on. Right? Oh, God. Uh, oh, wow. Anyway. That makes me so happy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right? And then Maya Rudolph backs that up saying on 501, I think there's nothing sexier than a funny lady. Funny ladies are pretty damn sexy. There's so much wit and confidence in that. And I love that. I like being a funny lady. I feel I've definitely become more of a woman because of my job. That and turning 30, which... Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, I really agree with her though. That's truer words have really never been spoken. Maya Rudolph, thank you. Yeah, okay. Now, this is where we actually get into 9-11, not me getting very confused last week and thinking we were talking about 9-11. Oh my God, we're already 40 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to the 9-11 stuff. (laughs) I don't think we, Jesus, are we going to have an SNL 9-11 section? That's terrible. Oh my God. The the, the special, yikes. No, 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 no. I'm saying, um... No, I, I, I think I think we can get through this. Okay. Let's just yeah, do it. Yeah, no, it's okay. If we make a long episode, we make a long episode. Right. I it's I, I don't need a three-parter. I just I can take the weekend to edit this. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, you can't, right? <laughs> nope. Just an update for everyone. Steve has Steve has the Rona. And yeah another update i'm getting the shot on monday and it's saturday <laughs> just for, you know <laughs> that is amazing oh my god i booked I'm it so yesterday when i was at you. work um nice what, what do you know oh, pfizer pfizer nice nice that's what i got yeah <laughs> um but yeah okay so um all right, now let's shift to <laughs> so now, not happy. So now we just went from squealing about a vaccine to a terrorist attack. Great. So on 503, uh, the uh, James Andrew Miller and Tom Schill, someone, they wrote it. All previous mishaps and calamities that had befallen Saturday Night Live since it was founded were rendered insignificant when on September 11th, 2001, Islamic terrorists flew passenger jets into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, jolting New York, shocking the world. For the producers, writers, and cast of the show, there was a subtext to the tragedy. The 27th season premiere was 18 days away. Or was it? Should the fall season be delayed under the circumstances? How much news of the day could be decently satirized by a comedy troupe? Was any attempt to wring laughs out of current events automatically in poor taste? Okay, a few things here before we get on to the next paragraph. Um, I cannot, the 27th season premiere, holy Lord, I feel old right now. Like, I literally just realized that we're 20 years from 9-11 this year. Oh, wow. That is, like, holy shit. 
20 fucking years. Time is a funny thing. Time is a funny thing, but like that's like the first major news thing I remember. Like, holy shit. Like, I'm going to be real with you. I feel like the first major news thing I remember was Michael Jackson dying, but it, unless Osama bin Laden, no, that was definitely after, right? Osama bin Laden was killed after Michael Jackson died. Yes. I think like I have no memory whatsoever. I feel like other things had to have happened in my life. <laughs> oh, maybe pretty Spears shaving her head. I remember that pretty well. Um, that was 2007. Michael Jackson died in 2009, and Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> but that was just your brain. <laughs> that was just my brain. That's just my fucking brain. There's too much in there. Like, why do I know that Britney Spears shaved her head in 2007? I don't fucking know. That information is useless to me. Um, yeah. So. Oh, could you not remember dis- that? Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was 2005. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're just we're just playing guess the year here like you're just naming shit things you remember yeah name shit that happened and i'll tell you when (laughs) Um, wait when did um sorry robin williams i was just thinking about him uh that i was in disney when i found out i that was 2013 or 14 yeah i was on the people mover (laughs) i don't even remember how i found out though because like i don't think people had like i 2014 okay yes oh my god actually because that was the day i chopped like a foot and a half of my hair off so that was 2014 isn't that nice (laughs) oh my god it was so freeing um okay back to 9-11 great this is the worst (laughs) don't want to talk about it i guess but Uh, right Um, we have to okay on the major decision whether to air the season premiere in its scheduled time slot michaels had to do a little deliberation mayor rudolph giuliani soon to be named time magazine's man of the year asked michaels to go ahead with the show as a signal that life in new york was going ahead as well since first taking office giuliani had been a semi-frequent visitor to the show dropping by occasionally during the live telecast as he made his rounds on a saturday night like you're, you're the mayor of New York City. You have nothing better to do than drop by fucking Saturday Night Live and schmooze? Like, fuck you. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, this time on September 29th, he would deliver the first punchline to the first joke to air after the attack. First, Michael's longtime close friend, Paul Simon, sang his song, The Boxer, a number that Michael's himself requested, though others on the staff found it dubiously appropriate. On stage, a crowd of New York firemen and policemen listened silently, grim faces panned by the studio cameras. The song over, Michael stepped up and asked Giuliani if it was all right for Saturday Night Live to be funny. Giuliani responded, smiling slightly, why start now? Then, when the laughter subsided, Giuliani exulted, I'm too high to say that word, Uh, he shouted the show's famous opening line, live from New York, New York was alive. So... Um, Amy Poehler said she was home in the East Village on 9-11. She could see the towers out of my window. All of us Terrifying. were working on the show at the time. Right? Like, like and actually then a couple traumatizing. Weeks, right? Like the, like, the actual PTSD that some of these people must have experienced watching this happen from your bedroom, living room, whatever window. Like, my God. Um and then a couple of weeks went by and it was like, oh yeah, we got to put on a show. I remember it being incredibly emotional and Rudy Giuliani being there. It was very tense and very weird, which that's generally how I feel when I think about Rudy Giuliani. But um, I, but like, I think that was, um, that show was Amy Poehler and Seth Meyers' first SNL ever. 
like no they started way. oh that makes sense because she was like um and then after all the drama of everything died down the question was what are we going to do do we even have a job which is probably a fair thought to have yeah i mean like yeah i i i don't know but yeah it, that was their first show uh i don't remember if it was lorna brad gray who called me uh oh that's rudy giuliani jesus not amy poehler i was like why are they calling amy poehler <laughs> same exact thing rudy giuliani though oh my gosh in this part he spoke with such poise about like grief and i mean i guess he ha- was the fucking mayor um yeah like he saw like, wow, some he could really talk well sometimes and be a good per- not a good person but he could just like he he's in touch with his emotions yeah and that is not the rudy giuliani that we know now honestly that has probably been the biggest shocker to me going through all of this going not the biggest shocker but like just how eloquently and how sane how eloquently Rudy Giuliani speaks and how sane he sounds. Like it's a completely different person than the guy that we all just saw in Borat. Like, uh. oh, um, was... but yeah, so you were actually just reading this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And so it was just like, um, not only did I think it was okay to go ahead with the show. I said the sooner rather than later, people have to get back into learning how to laugh and cry on the same day. Cause they're going to be doing it for a long time. It's like, well, that that's adulthood. Yeah. Um, but yeah he was uh, i'll tell you what happened on the night of the show i was operating at that point on like two or three hours of sleep per night i was going to go home immediately after the opening i was going to leave after the beginning and not stay for the whole show bullshit you schmoozer um sorry that's rude and fire and fire commissioner von essen and i went upstairs to lauren's office to get our stuff and we couldn't leave and i don't know if that was the funniest saturday night live ever but to me it was because it was like i literally hadn't laughed from september 11th up until that point so it was a little bit like when you go to a restaurant and you're very hungry and the food tastes terrific you're not sure if the food really is terrific or you're just very hungry but we just spent the next hour and a half in lauren's office just laughing we couldn't leave it was like a release there were enough number of the police officer police officers and firefighters who remained as guests i could see it was like a release for them too it was like i can laugh now this is terrific i thought they really rose to the occasion it was a very funny show and a very sensitively done show because you could have easily made a terrible mistake with a show like that like can you imagine the fucking ropes and like the tightrope they had to walk that week to make but of course they pulled it off um, they did. Something else that Rudy Giuliani said was one of the ways you get through a horrible catastrophic event, like if you lose your mother or your father or a loved one, is you grieve, you mourn, and then you try to get back into your normal way of life. And when he said that, I was like, God damn, Rudy Giuliani, speaking the truth. Yeah. It's, it abs- it's truly just trying to shift. It's like your life isn't going to be the same again but you just have to learn how to live with a new normal right and also the host for this episode was reese witherspoon right my queen i think i think it was yeah sorry there's something about will ferrell and president bush offering the bush cheney plan for dealing with suicide bombers in which they would offer telephone sex as opposed to the 72 virgins <laughs> and that, that's fucking funny that i did i was like okay <laughs> But yeah, Reese Witherspoon was scheduled to host. Um, 
So we're going to try and do what we can. I will never forget. This is Marcy Klein on 507. I'll never forget how remarkable Reese wound up being as a host. She did a terrific job. Never let the pressure get to her. She was a total pro. She showed up with her baby and worked yes, really queen. hard. Like, <laughs> right? Like, holy shit. You just had a kid and you're hosting this incredibly strong. Like, holy shit. Way to step up. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't believe I just, yes, queen Reese Witherspoon. But you know what? She deserves it. <laughs> Another thing that also happened, there were a few things that happened. Ben Stiller was supposed to host the following week. Ben was a member of the cast briefly back in 89. What? I had no idea that that was a thing. Makes sense. Um, he had actually been booked eight months in advance. I didn't know this. Someone in my office had been getting emails in early September with a lot of special requests for him. Things like a groomer and other stuff. Like, what are you, a dog? Um <laughs> The Friday before Reese hosted, I got a call from Ben Stiller's publicist without the hint of an apology. She announced Ben is dropping out of the show. Um, and Ben Ben is dropping out of the show. I will admit I was still very shaken about 9-11 in part because I lived so close to the towers. Another person who like, holy hell. Um, I was scared out of my mind. So maybe that helps explain why I went crazy. I said, how dare you call and cancel like this? Ben is from New York. He shouldn't, he should be showing up with he should be fucking showing up with bells on to help the city through this. Haven't you heard what the mayor said? She started saying he was canceling because of September 11th. And I was like, wait a second, Reese Witherspoon, who's never done the show, who doesn't even really know if she can handle this. And unlike Ben, who is never a cast member, is doing the first show. Don't you think Ben ought to, be, ought to maybe rethink it for a second? And she said to me, I can't believe you would be so insensitive. I said to her, listen, let's be clear about one thing. The world isn't going to come to an end because Ben Stiller doesn't host Saturday Night Live. In the grand scale of things, I just saw 3,000 people die out of my kitchen window. That's what matters um which again wow holy hell that's a that's a straight up sentence she really did go crazy but you know what sometimes you gotta yeah um and so they said uh you didn't understand i think he's dropping out because we're saying no to a lot of stuff he had wanted while he was hosting i told her i thought it was more than that he's scared of not being funny with that i called lauren i tell him what happened i said i disinvited him lauren said fine we'll get someone else we were just dumbstruck ben never called lauren never called me never wrote a letter to the show nothing then i turn on the fucking tv a couple days later and who do i see but ben stiller he's on the view the today show he's on every show doing press for his movie i said to lauren something's not right here turns out they had moved his movie up a week because they said the world needed comedy so what really happened was ben's people wanted me to move ben to the first show and reschedule reese you know i think it's so wrong what he did like oh my god i have heard stories about ben stiller but that is a dick move that fuck is you just move like oh <laughs> yeah and then she goes straight from talking about that to talking about um anthrax being sent to 30 rock and how drew barrymore was the host poor girl yeah right um drew barrymore was a guest host for that week's show she said i'm going to leave calm myself down and go back to my hotel i completely understood that i made sure to tell everyone if they didn't feel comfortable staying in the building they, sh they should go home uh, some people did say i'm getting out of here i will come back when it's fine um i come through uh marcy klein says i calmed drew down but i felt bad for her everyone thought she had left town and she didn't she stayed and she did the show the show was really scary to do under the best of circumstances um and this is also the first era in which women on the show got pregnant whilst they were on the show and felt comfortable in doing so and you know that they wouldn't be fired because sexism in the 70s um we uh, talked about this in our last um 
I, I think we, yeah. I was the, so like, excited about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it was Anna Gasteyer. I know Maya Rudolph was pregnant at least once, if not twice. Okay. So we're in Littlefield. And again, this is getting, we're getting into the end of part six here. Thank fucking God. Um, <laughs> so we're in Littlefield on page 513. Says, what's truly amazing is that it's reinvented itself so many, many, many times. And that's, and what's equally amazing is that I was a viewer when it first premiered and I'm a viewer now. It's, the show it's the same show and it's not it evolves with the it evolves with like time and whatnot to be yeah it's like it molds itself into what is right for the viewers at that point if that makes sense no it makes perfect sense and i mean i feel like we're seeing it now just with i mean we saw during quarantine you know they adapted yeah they, they adapted and they did virtual shows and that was, it was weird, but at the same time, it was really, really wonderful to, it felt so normal when they came back for the at-home shows to sit down on a Saturday night and watch Saturday Night Live. It was comforting. It was there. It's an ever, it's a constant in, it's a constant in our lives if you're a fan of the show. Yeah, I really do hope dies after me (laughs) um yeah there okay so there was another memorial on page 518 audrey pert dickman one of the show's producers from its beginnings in 75 to 93 um she had died the previous summer and this brought back a ton of people to uh 8h um so on May 21st, 2002, a few days after the final show of the season, about 150 members of the SNL family gathered. Chevy Chase chatted amicably with Bill Murray. Old animosities gone with the wind, or rather with the passing years. I don't believe that. Um, old timer Dan Heckroyd joked with new timers, Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey and Horatio Sands. Murray said the date marked another milestone, the 13th anniversary of Gilda Radner's death. Audrey's gone, Gilda's gone, Belushi's gone. Murray said, there's so many other people that should have gone first. A lot of them are in this room today. Much laughter from the crowd. Anybody here wants to admit they should have died ahead of Audrey? The question was rhetorical and facetious, but a few people raised their hands. Michael stood at the back of the room during the speeches, inescapably and perpetually, if remotely, patriarchal. It is a family, after all, a family of gifted misfits and brilliant oddballs, and it comes together now and then to remember, to celebrate, to mourn, and no matter how solemn the occasion, to laugh. Yeah, that, I thought that was a really well-written section that kind of really encapsulates, um, encapsulates the, I don't know, just the camaraderie of... It's like once you're a part of that family, you're a part of that family. You never, yeah. you're never not. This section does um, really like, or all those little sections that are written like that are always so fucking good. Um, but yeah, yeah like, oh, just makes you really like empathize with Lauren. You're like, damn. Yeah, I mean, really, my God, I, I can't imagine going through so many casts and so much, so many ups and downs, just like heartbreaks and yeah. Um, so there's an amusing anecdote about a live fuck up on pages 520 to 521. Do you hear my roommates are being a bit low now? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, uh, Amy Poehler says it was, uh, so Queen Latifah was hosting. She, Maya and I were playing this kind of doo-wop group. It was kind of a behind the music thing. During the live show with 10 seconds to go before the sketch, we could hear Jenna Rossitano, the stage manager talking into her headset saying, wait, what? What? Do you want me to tell them that? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We kept hearing her say into her headset, do you want me to tell them that? And then she said, okay. And it was like eight seconds to go. And she looks up and says to us, you're going to be singing with no music. Five, four, three. And we had four songs to sing. And you just go, ugh. The show goes so smoothly most of the time. We don't realize when it fucks up how bad things can be. We had dance moves and costume changes and songs and harmonies. We had rehearsed it to death and then it just blew up in our faces because there was no music track. That was scary. It was horrible. That was really, really horrible. That was Maya Rudolph, that last part. Amy Poehler says, I loved it. We just sang it without the music. Oh my God. It was one of those things where one of those things like, oh my God, the fucking show is live. It really is. Of course, there's some poor person who screwed up the music who's getting screamed at, but I loved it. <laughs> I could totally hear her saying that. Yeah, no, she, like, I love her appreciation for the screw ups. And I mean, I think we all feel that when we watch it because it's like, oh yeah, it's live. Yeah. And that, again, that's what's so much fucking fun about the show is watching things either fall apart or start to fall apart or people start to break it's not polished yeah and then it's also fun to watch it go really fucking well and you're like holy shit yeah and then i mean that's kind of we're kind of coming into the end of part six here there's just there's a little bit about the potential future of snl and like robert wright says you'd have to find people like lauren to do that uh conan is that kind of person i don't know whether conan wants to be a producer he wants to be a talent but he could be a talent executive producer or writer who's to say it would probably be 50 it would be probably 50 50 conan's show is ending this year i could totally see him stepping in and just kind of like taking a producer role and becoming the next lord i could totally see that i would be a hundred percent okay with that uh, I don't know where mm-hmm. it was in this book, but somewhere in this book, someone said something about how they fear that, you know, like the next person that takes the reins of SNL is going to be somebody who the network wants, which is a scary thought. That is a very scary thought. And I think it was on page five. 23 james downey says i think if lauren were to step down the show would very quickly be canceled wonderful um (laughs) said believe me they would not pick some bold young cutting-edge thinker who would startle everyone with his ideas it would be someone who would make the show much more like the rest of the network and i am afraid of that but i also feel if it's conan I, i i don't if it's conan and higgins like i don't know that you know it's such yeah i i would hope not but we'll see yeah, Lauren needs to do like a like a handing off of it. You know that this isn't the monarchy in England. You don't uh-uh. wait until you die. No, you, you you don't want Charles in charge. No, you don't. <laughs> isn't that a show, Charles in Charge or something? I, I fuck. Hang on. Wait, did I tell you that my um mom's mom agrees that it was probably him who made the comment? Oh, one hundred percent. He had. I even I I mean I am like 100% sure Charles is a racist piece of shit simply because of how much he agreed with his um was it his grand no his uncle the the racist the Nazi the Nazi Nazi. abdicator yeah um he he had a lot in common with him so like even if we know Charles is a bumbling idiot like even if he didn't mean it and I am 100% sure that he said it because he was like I need to know if I'm gonna have a black grandbaby like 
I mean, if, anyway, anyway. Probably, no, it makes sense though. It literally makes sense though. That's kind of, although, you know what I will say about, about Charles is the, the kid who plays him on the crown is so fucking cute. I love him. His name is Joshua Connor. You guys look him up. <laughs> He is quite adorable. Um, yeah, no. So when I said Charles in charge, you don't want that um, because, you know, Prince Charles, but that actually was a shitty TV show with Scott Bio, and we don't want that either. So, that is uh, but yeah, so that is, that's kind of it for part six. That wraps up, that brings us to like 2002 and we will be 2002 to 2008, which is a great yeah. period of time. That's when I started remembering Thanks. shit, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find us on all major podcast platforms or on Apple, Spotify, Stitch, or Google. And we're also on social media. Yeah, I would say don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review. And follow us and tweet at us yeah. and all that other fun stuff on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, um, at Set Night High Pod, night is spelled N-I-T-E on Twitter. Yeah, I live tweet the live episodes. You can find me there on Saturday night whenever you're watching Saturday Night Live, if you're watching it, well, live. Um, yeah, our website is setnighthighpod.com. And if you have a message that is longer than Twitter will allow you to send, our Gmail is setnighthighpod at Gmail. But yeah, until then, I'm Gilda. And I'm Steph. Happy highs. Happy highs.